enjoy the sun and to connect with God and connect with family and friends over the summer. Um, I hope you've been able to slow down a little bit and meet the Lord in some ways over the last few weeks. It's always amazing to intentionally seek God in the summer months, whether it's through conferences or prayer retreats or just a good book, um, whatever it would be, but just to hear his voice afresh and to feel his presence. I love it. I love it when God sets my heart ablaze again, just because I've sought him for who he is, aside from the busyness. In fact, I want to pray for that. Oh God, would you set our hearts ablaze? Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get so busy that we can't come into your presence and be filled with your spirit and be so excited about this life that you've called us to live. Lord, thank you for all of the fresh voices that have spoken to us over the summer. Thank you for the ways that we've been able to reflect, make little changes to how we do life. Lord, thank you for your rest. Thank you for allowing us to be maybe closer as families. Lord, I pray that that closeness with you and with one another would go forward with us into the busy time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Today I want to ask one basic question, and it's this. Today, here at this point in your life, is Jesus your Lord and King of your life? <clears throat> at this point in your life, today, here, is Jesus your Lord and King of your life? Let me just explain why I want to ask this question this morning. I... I listen to quite a lot of podcasts. I listen to teaching from all sorts of places from around the world. Um, I like to hear from different places and different traditions. Uh, it's just part of my spiritual routine. And at the moment, I don't hear that much reference to Jesus as King and as Lord, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I, I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon or a message of some kind where, which talked about Jesus as being our King and our Lord and our Sovereign. I hear a lot about Jesus as teacher, even rabbi. I hear tons about Jesus being a friend of sinners and able to cope with our weaknesses as healer, as saviour, even as the outspoken revolutionary prophet. I hear a lot of sermons about Jesus being the founder and pioneer of a new way, a new way of life, to enjoy a joyful, abundant spiritual life. There's a lot of teaching about that. I even hear messages about Jesus as the revealer of good product design and business opportunity. <laughs> and I actually think all of those are true. All of those are relevant to Jesus because Jesus is the source of all wisdom. He is the healer. He is the savior. He is the pioneer of a new way of life where you can know fullness of spiritual life and to get in step with him and his way. All of those things are true. 
But I don't hear many messages at the moment about Jesus the King, or Jesus the Lord, the Almighty, the one to whom every knee should bow, the knee of our hearts should bow. The one to whom we must submit every realm of our lives and offer our complete obedience and all our resources. Why is that? I'm sure when I was a kid, I used to hear teaching and encouragement along these lines a lot. And we used to sing about it a lot as well. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. Some of you have been around long enough to have sung that. I think maybe we find the idea of kings and lords and rulers too uncomfortable. I don't know. I think maybe that's, it, it's become less fashionable because of the association we have with world leaders and what they're like, maybe. We, maybe we have too many bad examples of national leaders to associate Jesus with the idea of being Lord of all. Most world leaders seem to be arrogant or corrupt or completely preoccupied with maintaining their own political position or flexing their military muscles or trying to start wars with North Korea. Maybe it's begun to feel awkward to think of Jesus as being leader, ruler, king, lord, supreme who requires both devotion and unquestioning allegiance. We've seen it go wrong too many times in human affairs. By the way, there are some great national leaders out there. They just don't make the headlines as much as the other ones. But maybe we've got this mental association with national leaders in general. And we have a problem with linking that with Christ. Understandably, Instead, we tend to seek messages that help us, that maybe speak into the, the nitty-gritty of our lives, that help us to progress in some way, or to grow in some way, or to be stronger in some way. And preachers have the applaudable desire to make Jesus relevant and interesting to all of us. There's nothing wrong with that. To connect us with the Jesus that we want to follow. A Jesus that solves life's real problems and answers our deepest questions and makes life a bit better. I'm not knocking any of this because I think it's important. I think that's what we all need. We need to find a Jesus in the context of our real lives. And we do have needs that we need Jesus to meet. We do. It was the same in Jesus' day. People came from all over the place to find Jesus because they had real burning needs that needed to be met. They needed healing. They needed deliverance. They needed their relationships sorted out. They needed wisdom for how to do life. They found life complicated too, as we do. And Jesus didn't mind. He healed. He delivered. He taught. He comforted. He generally helped people and made life a little bit easier for people that sought him out. For others, he made it a little bit harder too. But perhaps we need to be careful not to relate to Jesus just as the provider of what we need. There's a real temptation there. 
And we need to be careful that we don't reduce Jesus just to what we want him to be. Let me read you a little bit from a book that I've just got into. This is by Carl Martin. It's called Stand. Very good book. Listen to this. He said, A family came back from a trip to the USA and brought us a present. It was a grow-your-own-Jesus. Awesome. The idea is that you stick him in a glass of water and overnight he grows to about six times his original size. We thought it was a fun present, so we rushed down each morning to see how big Jesus was. Indeed, our Jesus grew. Then he shrank again. Jesus made us laugh. You should get one. Maybe you already have one. Many of us do. We try to grow our own Jesus. We take an idea of Jesus and try to conform or reform it into an image that we're comfortable with. The kind of image that suits us. Maybe we like the idea of soft Jesus. So we feminize him or camp him up and we stick him on a shelf in the kitchen. Or maybe we prefer the other extreme and we pump him up to cage fighter Jesus. But Jesus is not a sponge or a fluffy toy. He may not even have a six-pack. Jesus is. He simply is. I like that. And just in case you think this is just a preacher talk, there really is a grow-your-own-Jesus. I, I did some research. Stick him in a glass of water. Have we grown our own Jesuses? Serious question. Have we grown our own Jesuses? What's your Jesus like? Right now. I was given something similar once. And I've been wondering when to use it. This is, a, this is the instant Jesus. And I've been thinking I'd like to use it in a service, but it, this is even a bit sacrilegious for me to use as part of a serious service. So um, I was thinking maybe you, to use it with the resurrection or something. Here he is in the room, but I don't even want to do that. But it is quite funny, so I thought I'd share it with you today. Uh, is, do you have an instant Jesus? So this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hit it and then shake it. And then it's supposed to create an instant Jesus. There you go. An instant Jesus. That was a great Christmas present this year. If ever you're in need. Amazing. Do you have an instant Jesus? You can have one for about $1.99. Some, for some of us, it's like this. Jesus kind of lives in a cupboard or on a shelf, and then occasionally we really need him. So we come to Jesus, we dig him out, and we say, Jesus, I need your blessing right now. And we hope that Jesus will show up and do his thing and bless us. And in his kindness, he does, doesn't he? So often, we, when we come to him in desperation, when uh, we, we haven't been necessarily following him as a disciple very closely, 
when life has overtaken us and our spiritual life has kind of gone out of the window and yet we hit that point of crisis and we come to God and say, Jesus, would you help? And he does, because he is just that kind. But how does that sit with Jesus' identity as being king and lord of all? Surely my relationship should be more about me being there whenever he wants me and not the other way around. Do you see how easy it is to get the wrong picture and therefore to develop an inappropriate relationship and spiritual life? So what's the corrective here? We need to study the true picture. Yes. We need to study the true picture. And you may be thinking, hooray, the pastor's telling us to read our Bibles again. Well, yes. (laughs) Yes, that's what it comes down to. It's the only way to avoid growing your own Jesus. Let me illustrate this. Okay, here is a picture of an owl that I drew. That is unmistakably an owl, right? This is an owl that is out of my head. I haven't been looking at any owls. I just thought, well, what does an owl look like in my head? And I started to draw. And this is an owl. I think you'll, you'll agree that's quite impressive. <laughs> this is one that I've done from studying a book. And I'm actually secretly really proud of myself for this one. I, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, I am wasted on this job. <laughs> the art world is missing a bright, shining light right now. Um, But this is one that I drew out of a book. One is out of my head, and I think you'll agree is a bit of a caricature, to say the least. And one is a masterful copy of the real thing. (laughs) Our study of the Gospels is similar. It allows us to put the caricature of Jesus to one side, whatever our culture has deformed him into. Put the caricature of Jesus to one side and to step out of our context, take off our cultural lenses and to look as openly and as objectively as possible at who Jesus really is and how people related to him when they lived with him in the flesh. Now, obviously, when you read through the Gospels, there was a whole host of different reactions to Jesus. When you think about it, in Nazareth, he was the blasphemous son of a carpenter. And to the people that met him on the mountain, with the Sermon on the Mount, he was the most awesome teacher that had ever walked the face of the earth. If you were a a temple guard or a priest or a money changer in the temple. He was this angry, revolutionary, political prophet that turned over the tables and upset the equilibrium. Whole host of reactions. But to those who knew him best and were seeking to follow him as we are, he was treated more than anything like a king. The disciples gave him total respect and complete authority and control over their lives. Just let that sink in. To those who knew him best, who had journeyed with him, who had spent three years 
walking and eating and serving and sleeping under hedges with him. More than anything, they related to him as a king. Do you know, if you read through the Gospels, the disciples never once called him Jesus. Right through the narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they never once call him Jesus. They call him Master and Rabbi and Lord. These are the main words used for him. So, didaskalos, and this is in the Greek, means a teacher, frequently rendered master in the four Gospels as a title to address Christ. So this is a respected teacher, a whole life teacher. Curious uh, means a lord, one who exercises power, often translated masters in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So they refer to him as Kyrios and Rabbi. This was an Aramaic, Aramaic word signifying my master, a type of respectful address to Jewish teachers. This was probably the most common to call him Rabbi. So we've got teacher, Lord, and Rabbi. And as we've looked at before, what's mixed up with that Rabbi term is someone who who has authority over your life, but also someone who you're seeking to be like in every respect, is your whole life teacher. How they refer to him reveals something of who Jesus was to them and the kind of relationship that became appropriate for them as they got to know him. Names and titles were incredibly important in their culture. They gave meaning to roles and structure to society. They set down the guidelines for how people were to relate to one another. And it's the same in our culture. If I say the term daddy or mummy, it suggests a different relationship to officer or boss or sergeant or your majesty, if you happen to be talking to the queen. And do you see how that's different from my mate Dave? (laughs) The title describes the nature of the relationship. Well, it was the same then, if not more so. And the disciples consistently related to Jesus as Lord and Master. Which, by the way, is a lot closer to your majesty than my mate Dave. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? Do you understand? It means absolute respect, whole life allegiance, wholehearted devotion, and unquestioning loyalty and obedience. On a level that a slave would have for their master, or how a subject would be before their king. Total submission and commitment. This was the response of the people that knew Jesus better than anybody. This is the model of the appropriate way to relate to Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus affirms them in this. Turn to John 13 and verse 13. This is from verse 12. After washing their feet, this is in the Last Supper in the upper room, the night before 
he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, before the cross. After washing their feet, he put his robe on again, and he sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So who is he to you? Let me ask you that question again. At this point in your life, is Jesus your Lord and King of your life? Or has he been repainted and relegated to something else? Now there's a really sobering side to this story. There was one of the disciples who had stopped calling Jesus Lord and had and Master, and it didn't work out very well for him. You can guess which one that was. Judas Iscariot had changed his view of Jesus, and his relationship and his language therefore changed. This is why, as soon as Jesus is finished saying these words, you call me teacher, which is rabbi, and Lord, for that is what I am. In John 13, 13, it says in, uh, in verse 18, I'm not saying these things to all of you. And in verse 21, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. How Judas addresses Jesus just a few hours later in the garden is really telling. You can read about it in Mark chapter 14 and verse 45. It says this, it says, as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus, teacher, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. Now, what, is, what screams to me in that verse is the word that he didn't use. He didn't say Lord. He didn't say Master. He didn't say my rabbi. He said teacher, didascalus. Which, which is a teacher who is impressive, a great communicator, a great life coach, but was no longer the Lord and Master of his heart. He didn't use that normal word. Why? Because his heart was not submitted to Jesus as Lord and King. Here's the point. I think, like Judas, it's easy to go along with the crowd of followers of Jesus. I think it's easy to respect Jesus as the great teacher and gifted communicator, but stopping just short of really giving Jesus his rightful place as master and king of your life. The problem really comes when your allegiance to Jesus gets tested. When we are presented with a better offer, or you're exposed to an impressive teaching from another excellent communicator. 
Judas was vulnerable to temptation and capable of making the most ungodly choices because he had moved Jesus off the throne of his heart. And he'd reimagined him as just a great teacher and life coach. It's easy to wander down this road. I think a lot, there is quite a lot of teaching out there that emphasizes that kind of Jesus. The life coach, Jesus. The great communicator, Jesus. The culture that we live in, I think, flows that way. But I don't believe it's God's way for you. I really don't. Don't grow your own Jesus. Let's not redraw him according to what we want him to look like in our heads because it will come out looking wrong. See how the disciples honoured him. See how they loved him. See how they gladly gave him every area of life. And they placed themselves willingly under his authority and under his sovereignty. I want to encourage you all, as strongly as I can, to get to know him in his glory and his majesty as well as in his grace and in his kindness, which is there too. The best thing that you can do is to give Jesus the throne of your heart. And don't let anyone dethrone him as the true king of your life. In a moment, Polly is going to come and lead us through a time of communion with God. But before we do, I wonder if we could pause and ask ourselves some questions just for a few moments. Let's be silent before God. Father, our hearts are prone to wander. And we live in a culture that is hostile to you and to your authority and to your majesty. And so, God, we want to come before you in the light of your word. Lord, would you speak to each of us? And I pray that we'd be able to recalibrate our relationship with you based on what is appropriate because of who you are. Some questions. You might want to keep your eyes closed, focused on God. Do you seek Jesus to be king of your life? Do you let him speak into your plans? Will you let him have the last word in your decisions?
Will you stop what you're doing when he says no? And on the flip side of that, will you move quickly when he says go? Right now, who is in the driving seat of your life? Who do you most seek to please? Take a moment, each of us, to have a little conversation with Jesus in the quietness of our hearts. And then Polly's going to lead us in a time of communion.